going to be transitioning starting tonight into probably what I believe to be the core of what we've been talking about where spiritual warfare is concerned. Uh, I mentioned this last week how both Pastor Diana and I have been both leaning heavily on this topic of the Holy Spirit. And that's not coincidence. Uh, like I've said a million times before, we don't confer ahead of time with each other on what we're going to be teaching. I go to the Lord for what he wants me to teach. She does the same thing. They just work out because we pray to the same Lord, right? So that's how it's supposed to be. Um, but I was on this spiritual warfare subject, and I had a lot of uh, notes and a lot of directional, I had a lot of information that I wanted to share and get out, you know, uh, some things some things in the Bible that are of particular interest to me and to many of you um, that I would have included in my spiritual warfare subject if I remained along this path. But the Lord has given me fresh instruction to shift gears for this lesson. We're going to be going to the Holy Ghost until he says otherwise. And then he's given me the topic for the lesson following that, uh, which I think we're going to get a kick out of, and we're going to get a kick. Uh, he's given me the title for it, and he's given me the topic for it, and he's been speaking to me about it. Pastor Diana and I had a brief conversation on the phone uh, two days ago, and uh, the Lord gave me this topic, and he said, we're going we're to we're work on this one. The, top, the title of it for this next lesson, so not this lesson. This lesson is going to be about the Holy Ghost, and the next few lessons will be about the Holy Ghost. But the one following, I'm going to give you the title now so you can prepare your spirit because it's going to mess with us. It's called Big Church Vision, Small Church Problems. The Lord's been talking to me. And we're going to deal with some stuff going into 2023 to help us grow. So just buckle up because the Lord has put some things on both of our hearts that need to be addressed. And we're going to address them. Uh, anyway, the spiritual warfare subject that we've been on for the last couple of months, the Lord has given me the freedom to isolate those other topics that I didn't get a chance to really dig deep into, that technical stuff that some of us like, that historical stuff in the Bible that I got a bunch of notes on. He said, you can make that into a class because we got a classroom now. So what I'm going to be doing, and I'll give you the details at a later date. It'll be soon. But uh, I'm going to be making that a forum and a class that we'll teach here, uh, not on a Wednesday night, probably a Friday evening or a Thursday night class or something like that, um, maybe once or twice a month. And it'll be open, and you can come in, and I'll get to get on my whiteboard and really get down into some stuff relating to spiritual warfare. Because when the Holy Ghost gives you instruction, you have to go where he's telling you to go. So, so these Wednesday night Bible studies, the Lord has given me a different instruction, so I got to go that way. But I have a very strong interest in that spiritual warfare topic, and I got everything out of it the Lord wanted me to get out of it to give to you. But there's some stuff left I still want to talk about. So he said, you can do that on your time. So for those of you that are interested in that class, I will be hosting that class soon, and we're going to exhaust all my notes on spiritual warfare. Some of you may have some questions that you didn't get a chance to ask for the Wednesday night Bible study and things of that nature. This will be the time. That'll be the time and a place to do it. And we'll get to have conversations. You'll get to talk back to me. It won't be live streamed. I'm not sure if it'll be recorded. We might record it, but it'll be less formal. It won't be a service case. It won't have to sing. It'll just be a class and we'll get a chance to talk about some stuff. So now that I got all that out the way, let's get into tonight's message. We are going to begin discussing the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, Pastor Diana has done most of the heavy lifting for me. So this will be easy because, you know, she got pages and pages and pages and piles and piles of notes and scripture, as she always tends to do. And that role of the governor thing, that's, you know, to be honest, I don't remember ever hearing it taught that way. And I've been, I've been in this a little while. And I don't think I've ever heard it taught that way. And not that we look for new ways to teach stuff, but sometimes you get a fresh way of approaching something and it opens up perspective because perspective is important. So I'm grateful to God for that kingdom of God principle she's been harping on 
And I'm going to, by the grace of God, do my best to aid that direction that she's been going in. Because that's one of my many jobs. She's been on the topic of the kingdom of God as an overall subject. And so her approach to teaching the Holy Spirit has been along those lines. I'm going to supplement that with some more of the, the intimate one-on-one how the Holy Spirit ministers to us as individuals. Because it's important that we, especially going into this next year, that we foster a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit than we've ever had before. And those of us that have been in the kingdom a long time, we can get stale and we can get stagnant. How do you know when you're getting stale? How do you know when you haven't really spiritually grown in a while? Because sometimes, sometimes we don't recognize that we haven't really grown in a while because we tend to base our spiritual development by the extent of our natural problems. If I don't have a whole lot of natural problems, I think I'm pretty good. And we don't measure how far we've grown spiritually because we're looking at our natural issues. You know, many of us, we came into the kingdom, we had a whole bunch of problems. The kid was crazy, the lights were getting turned off, my marriage was breaking up. I had all these life issues and I came to God to get result, to get resolutions on those issues. And God began to answer prayer and I began to get revelation and I began to get understanding and I began to, to gain in life the things that the word of God promised me. And now my marriage is whole and my kids made it to college and I'm not sick anymore and my bills are paid and me and God are pretty cool. And I've got a good church work life balance. You know, I show up to church once or twice a week, every week, and I, I, I'm in the praise team or, I, you know, I pay my tithes and I, I do all those wonderful Christian things that I'm supposed to do. And I'm satisfied. I lay my head on my pillow at night. I've wronged no one. I can't think of anything I've done. I'm not engaging in any overt sin, sinful behavior. So I'm good. And you think that you're growing spiritually because you're maintaining the bare minimum of kingdom life. Because all of those things are bare minimum in the kingdom. You should know that. But a good way to measure growth, you know, when mothers have babies and fathers have babies too, they don't birth them, but they have them. <laughs> They're supposed to anyway. But that's a whole different conversation. When parents have children, let me put it that way, for all the fathers that go, don't leave us out. They take their children, especially in the first few years of their development, they take them to the doctor often to get their growth measured. You know, they got all these scales and all of these, these measurements to determine if the child is growing at the right rate or if there's any abnormalities or defects or anything that they need to head off early. They check on the child's growth at various stages. Who in here has ever done that with a child? Everybody that's had a child has done that at least once or twice. But one thing that constantly comes up as children grow, as human beings grow, even into adulthood, there's an increase in appetite when you're going through a growth spurt. When I was a kid, every time I was going through a growth spurt, two things would occur. I slept a lot more, and I ate a lot more. Now, young males especially go through that. I don't know exactly how it works for young females, but testosterone kicks your butt when you're going through a growth spurt. You eat a lot and you get sleepy a lot. And you just be, you be chilling and you just eat constantly. I miss those days. Because when I was 12, 13, I could just eat. And I had no body fat. I could just eat. Now it's, it's a different conversation. Now I have to track every calorie just to be less fat. <laughs> I'm working on abs. I'm working on abs. I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm working on abs. But it, it's, you know, I used to, to, I used to eat. Uh, but when you're in a growth cycle, you notice your appetite increases for sustenance. A loss of appetite is usually the first sign of illness. 
Something's wrong when you stop being hungry. And most parents, if you've nursed a sick child, when they don't want to eat, the first question you ask is, are you sick? You doing all right? You got a temperature? What's going on? A good measure of growth is hunger. And a lot of times, we as believers, we get stale, and we notice a loss of hunger, and we don't pay attention to it. We come to church, we feel good, but we're not hungry for more. Now, we might be more materialistic. We might want more stuff. But see, you can get into a, a situation where you go to God for more stuff, and you call that spiritual growth. I want more because prosperity is a big thing in the kingdom of God, and it should be. We should all be prosperous. But prosperity in the kingdom of God is only natural at the end. What I mean by the end is this cycle of prosperity begins with the soul. It doesn't begin with the pocketbook. It ends with the pocketbook because that's the easy part. That's not God's goal. God's goal primarily where prosperity is concerned in your life is not for you to have more money. It's for you to have a soul that is more enriched with the nature of God. Then that breeds more wealth in your natural life. If you get all the money and you haven't grown spiritually, you're just a rich fool. And God's not about financing foolishness. We see a lot of that already. So the Holy Ghost, one of his primary roles and responsibilities to us is to infuse us with the nature of God. And when you've tasted the nature of God, you immediately become hooked on it. And you develop a hunger for it that makes you want more. And when you go so far into the nature of God, you don't get full, you get emptier. Because it's an unending well. And your desire for more of his character breeds a closeness to the Holy Ghost. That's the way it's supposed to be. But what tends to happen is we get information before we get revelation of the Holy Ghost. And we get so much information that we have a hard time processing it all. So we take a minute to slow down and try to figure out our own personal religion. Well, what does this scripture mean? What does that verse mean? What do these verses mean? What do you mean when you say it that? And it's important to know those things, but it doesn't replace hunger. That's curiosity. And curiosity and hunger are not the same thing. And a lot of times we think spiritual curiosity is the same as spiritual hunger, and it isn't. See, I can be curious about you. I, I, I can be curious about my wife. I can want to know what she's thinking and not care about her thoughts. I can want to know what she's doing and not care about her life. See, I can, I, can, I can be curious about her, but I don't necessarily have to be hungry for her. But when you're hungry for somebody, and anybody that's ever been in love knows hunger for someone, well, you just want to sit and look at them. <laughs> Sometimes it's just sit on the couch and just look at her. She don't even know I'm staring I'm just looking at her. I'm not asking no questions. I'm not really uh, inquiring of her mind. I just want to look at her just because she's there, and I'm hungry. If you ever been hungry, you know what I'm talking about. And that's all I'm going to say. We're going to put all the kids in the nurseries. <laughs> Once you get over three, it's time. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> Hunger and curiosity aren't the same. And you have to be careful because curiosity can make you religious. And a lot of religion comes in when babies are curious. Because when you get introduced to the kingdom, there's a whole lot you don't know. And that's okay, because this is a lifestyle. It's a life. It's more than a lifestyle. It's life. Amen. So it, it's not something you add into what you do. It's everything about you becomes the kingdom of God. But because the Holy Spirit is your connection and your access to the kingdom of God, you should be more hungry for the Holy Ghost than you are for information about the Holy Ghost. The number of things you actually need to know about the Holy Ghost, to walk in his power. It's very little if you are walking in intimate relationship with him because he'll reveal himself to you in a way that makes sense to you even if you can't explain it to someone else. And what happens a lot of times is we get so full of information that we think we're full. It's like eating what we call empty calories. You eat a whole bowl of Captain Crunch or a whole box of Captain Crunch and you're not hungry. 
but you're not, sus you're not, there's no sustenance in Captain Crunch. Now, I like Captain Crunch. Captain's my dude. But there's no sustenance in it. It's just baked sugar with sugar on top. <laughs> and when you're hungry, you eat three or four bowls of that, you stop feeling hungry. But you've not gotten any sustenance. And in an hour, you're hungry again. And that's what curiosity can do. You can overfill yourself on empty calories. But then you have a steak with some broccoli and some rice, and you're not hungry for a while, and your body is sustained. Now you can function on that. I'm trying to get off of this food metaphor, but maybe that's because, see, I got two steaks marinating at home right now. I've been marinating them since first thing this morning. I got up this morning, and I made, I can cook steak now. Now my wife makes an amazing steak, but I can cook steak. If it's made of beef, I can cook it. <laughs> I've got the best burger recipe you'll ever eat, and I can cook a steak. And I've been marinating these bad boys. Nah, you can't come over. I ain't got that much meat. <laughs> I got a plan to feed your family. I got to save up. <laughs> I got to save up because y'all come through. Y'all come through hot. Denzel's one of my best friends. I said, I can't feed him no more. We go out. <laughs> I spent many a day trying to fill that man's belly. It just don't work. We had to go somewhere we go. It got to be all you can eat. He takes that as a personal challenge. All I can eat, huh? Let's find out. <laughs> but I got a couple of steaks at home waiting on me. So maybe that's why I got all this food on my mind. But empty calories in the spirit realm is information that does not breed intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And you have a lot of Christians be empty calorie. They got a question they need answered. Okay, I answered your question. Now what? Where do we go from there? How much more like Christ did that answer make you? It, it, it plugged a hole in your intellect that you had. Great. Now what? How much more of the Holy Ghost power are you walking in now that you have that answer? I'd rather be like Peter. He didn't know much. But he walked in the power of the Holy Ghost. Peter's epistles are pretty short. He wasn't an intellectual. Paul wrote most of the New Testament because he was an intellectual. He took all his intellect and all his education and he threw it away to get to know the Holy Spirit. And then God, through the Holy Spirit, used Paul's intellectual gifts to write two-thirds of the New Testament. But he didn't walk in more Holy Ghost than Peter. He just had a different gift. And thank God for that. But Peter was getting Holy Ghost revelation before Paul was even saved. Because Peter was getting revelation from the Holy Ghost when Jesus was still on the earth. That says something. Peter wasn't very smart. And that worked to his advantage. Because he didn't need a lot of answers. He just needed to know, if it's you, Lord, tell me to get out the boat. All the smart disciples stayed in the boat. Peter said, if it's you, tell me you got the boat. He said, it's me. He said, I'm getting out of the boat. And Peter walked on the water. His intellect would, not have, would never have allowed him to do that. His experience wouldn't. He was an experienced sailor. He knows you can't walk on water. But he was good at turning his brain off and just obeying. Sometimes it got him in trouble. But that was a gift that he had, and it was the foundation for the church. That the foundation of the church was a Holy Ghost revelation that bypassed all human intellect and all human capability. That's why Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Because flesh and blood, intellect and reasoning and education did not reveal who I am to you. Only my father could reveal who I am to you. And it's that revelation, it's that moment that Jesus recognizes, that Jesus honors that moment. That to, to walk in the kingdom, to build this church, you must receive revelation from the Father. You can't get it through flesh and blood. We got entire seminaries, whole Bible colleges and all that stuff that fill you with information and no revelation of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you some, some scriptures. I got information in my head. Let me give you a couple of scriptures we're going to go tonight. 
and I'm going to do my best to get through them. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Now, I recommend you read the entire chapter. Like I've said this before a million times, Ephesians is one of my favorite books in the whole Bible. And if you look in my Bible, it is the most marked up book in the Bible. But I'm not going to read the whole thing because it'll take too long. So I'm going to start. I'm going to skim through it and then I'm going to jump on verses 13 and 14. So if you're taking notes, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. But I highly recommend you read the whole thing. This is written by Paul. I'm going to start at verse 3 and then I'm going to skim through it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Thank God for these lights, because I can see these words now. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Jump down to verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. There's a little uh, italics word that says even in him. That's a translator thing. Verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. We've obtained an inheritance in Christ. Being predestinated. That's an important word. Because it means this inheritance is not a, a fringe benefit of coming into the kingdom through Christ. It was predestined for us to walk in this inheritance. Pastor Dana talked about that uh, several Sundays ago, how the original church began at the beginning, back in the garden. It did not form after the resurrection. It was reformed after the resurrection because it was lost in the garden. But our place in Christ, as we know it today, was predestined for us. It's always been God's plan for us to walk in this divine inheritance. That we should be, verse 12, to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. What that means is those of us who first trusted in Christ will be to the praise of his glory. In whom you also trusted. This is Paul talking to the Ephesian church. In whom we also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So there's an order here. First you hear the word. Then you believe the word. Then you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Hear, believe, seal. Verse 13, referring to the Holy Spirit, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. That word earnest simply means a down payment, a foretaste. Some translations use the word foretaste of our total inheritance. The Holy Spirit is the first payment, the first down payment, if you will of our total inheritance. That means the Holy Spirit is a part of our spiritual inheritance. We are walking in our inheritance when the Holy Spirit, when we are full of the Holy Ghost. We manifest the rest of our inheritance by his will and by his command. See, the Holy Spirit was a gift given by God to us. And then every other aspect of our inheritance is manifest as we walk out with the Holy Spirit. Because when the people in that 120 in that upper room, when they were in that upper room, Jesus said, I'm going to send you the comforter. He said, wait in the upper room and I'm going to send my spirit. Don't move. Don't go out. Don't try to preach. Don't do anything. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. Once they got the Holy Spirit, everything else they got after that came as a result of him. He had to come first. He didn't send them healing and prosperity. He sent them the Holy Ghost. He didn't send them whole relationships and full families. 
He sent them the Holy Ghost. And then by the anointing and the instruction of the Holy Ghost, they were able to acquire everything else. And what happens a lot of times is we read the, the, the list of things we have a right to in our inheritance package. And we try to acquire them out of order. We try to acquire them based on what we feel we need the most at the time. See, if my life's getting ready to get cut off, I need the, the prosperity part now. So God, you got to give me some money. You promised me wealth and riches. Proverbs talks about wealth and riches are in the house of the wise and the righteous. You know, you said you'd give me richly all things to enjoy. That's what Paul told Timothy. I need some of that now. And he says, well, get it from the Holy Ghost. Well, here's the thing, God. He wants me to do a bunch of stuff. I ain't got time to do it. <laughs> but there's an order to this thing. So there's an order to this. You're trying to get healing because you know you got a right to healing. If you don't know you have a right to healing, you have a right to healing. It's a part of your inheritance. Everything that Adam had in the garden, you have a right to. Because God made Adam the way he intended for mankind to be. And he put him in an environment that he intended mankind to live in. Sin robbed us of that. Christ came, defeated sin, and then reintroduced us to those rights. But the first thing he did with Adam was breathe the Holy Ghost into him. He didn't send Adam on any animal naming missions because one of his first jobs was to name the animals. There's a lot of spiritual significance to that. I might not have time to get to all of that tonight. But before he gave him a job to do, he breathed the Holy Spirit into him. The Holy Spirit always comes first before any work is done, before any benefits are gained. When Jesus was born, now he was born of the Holy Ghost, meaning that his spirit that inhabited his flesh was pure straight from the Holy Ghost, just like yours and mine is if you're born again. If you're born again, you have the same kind of spirit in you that Jesus had when he walked the earth. But Jesus does no ministry. He does no miracles. He does no healing. He ain't walking on no water until he's filled with the Holy Spirit at age 30. He has to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Then he has to be led by the Holy Ghost. Then he has to be trained by the Holy Ghost and empowered by the Holy Ghost before he goes out and does anything. Because even Jesus has to do it in order. And the order is not born again and then benefits. The order is born again, Holy Ghost. And then the Holy Ghost reveals the benefits as you gain deeper levels of intimacy with him. And what happens is, when Jesus is a baby, Jesus is not a baby, he's two years old, practically a baby. When Jesus is two years old, King Herod gives a decree to kill all the two-year-old males. Everybody two and under has to die because he's found out that a king has been born, and King Herod is afraid that people are calling him the king of the Jews. At this time, King Herod is the king of the Jews. He's been placed there by the Roman government. He's a puppet king to rule the Jews. And he's, there's been prophecies about Jesus for thousands of years. And now these wise men from the east are coming in and they're saying the prophecy has been fulfilled. He who is born king of the Jews, the son of David, that's an important title because David is the hero king of the Jewish people. And anybody born into his line could have a legitimate claim to the throne of Israel. Well, King Herod was put there by the Roman government who were their conquerors, their overlords. And they said, you rule your own people, Herod, because you're loyal to us. Herod says, well, I can't have nobody born king because he could raise an army and take this back. So I'm going to kill everybody two years old and under who's male. Every boy two years old and under got to die. So he sends out this decree. Well, you know what didn't happen? The Holy Ghost did not protect Jesus. God sent an angel to tell Joseph, take your wife and your son and go to Egypt and wait. So this is over. And then when Herod died, they came back. Because the Holy Ghost was still not an operation in Jesus' life at this point. So God had to depend on the faithfulness of the parents 
that he had set up, and he chose them solely because of their obedience to his voice. When he sent them an angel, they did what they were told. When that angel came to Mary and said, you're going to bear the, the Messiah, she said, be it unto me according to your word. That's what God was looking for, just obedience. They weren't full of the Holy Ghost. They were obedient. Angel said, go, they went. And that's how it was in Jesus' early life. If Herod had gotten to Jesus at two years old, he'd have killed him. I want to make that plain. Because we have religious tradition has made Jesus into a superhuman from birth. He was not. And what it's designed to do, it comes in the form of we want to honor Jesus. So baby Jesus has all these magic powers. Because we want to be honorable to our Savior, to our Lord, to God in the flesh. But what it's actually doing is it's removing the Holy Spirit from the equation. It's designed to get you to think that everything Jesus did, he did because he was Jesus, not because he was full of the Holy Spirit. That way, when you can't get it done, you can say, well, that was Jesus. Anything that reduces the ministry of the Holy Ghost is of the devil. It does not matter if it comes in a package that claims to give glory to God. If it reduces the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the earth, it's of the devil. Because the devil knows the rules better than we do. The devil knows that you and I can only do what Jesus commanded us to do by the Holy Spirit. And we're spending too much time praying to Jesus and praying to the Father and not listening to the Holy Ghost. I heard one minister say that when you pray in the Holy Ghost, when you finish praying in the Holy Ghost, spend almost as much time listening. Shut up and listen. Let him talk. You talk for an hour, let him talk. Most of the time, that's what your answer is. But what we do, we pray in the Holy Ghost, then we go out and try to command our situation. And if you take that 10, 15 minutes and listen, really listen, I'm amazed at how many believers don't know how to listen. To the Holy Spirit. They get praying in tongues down and they get charged up on that. That's good. But then you got to learn how to listen. Because he spends most of his time talking. The Holy Ghost's number one job is to talk to us and to instruct us. And then there are times when he talks through us. Let me give you a simple nugget that'll help you. And Pastor Diana said something along those lines. And I'm, I'm not sure when. I know it's recently. But she might have said it more than once. That's why. When you pray, see, you pray to your God. You don't pray to your problems. You speak to your problems. You pray to your God. You speak to your problems. You don't pray about your problems. Let me help them, Lord. Help me to help them, Lord. Because religious tradition, especially in evangelical churches, we've gotten into this habit of praying about our problems and situations. Tell it to Jesus. Tell him all your problems. Parents in the room, when your children are hungry or have a need, how many times do you like to hear them tell you about it? Before you go, I know. You don't want your kids coming to you every five minutes, oh, heavenly dad, I'm still hungry. Feed me. I believe you can feed me. You're a good father. Oh, mother, great and powerful mother, my nose is still running. I believe you can wipe it. I'm coming to you humbly, thanking you in advance for wiping my nose. And then 10 minutes later, Oh, mother. So you would go, look, I know. I know what I'm doing. I've already prepared for this. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm already taking care of you. No, no, no. You don't want your children to come to you only with their needs. And then when they don't have a need, you can't find them. What you want is your children to be around you, enjoying you, and because you're an observant parent, you see all their needs and you come to them. Hey, your nose is running, man. You didn't even notice? Daddy, I was having so much fun, I didn't even notice. You ever have fun with your kids and they, they doing something goofy and their shoe is untied? What do you do? 
you run up and tie their shoe. Or you tell them, hey, your shoe's untied, man, tie your shoe up. They didn't even notice because they was just having fun with you. All the stuff that could harm them, all the damage they could encounter, most of the time when they're around you, they're not even conscious of their need. They're just enjoying you. And you are conscious of their need because you're their parent. And so you step in and you'll do one of two things. You'll do it directly or you'll give them an instruction. Hey, tie your shoe up for your trip. Or come here, let me wipe your nose. Or y'all hungry? I know we've been driving for an hour and a half. You got to be hungry. You don't even wait for them to say nothing. You ask them. My, my mama was the queen of bringing snacks. She does that today. Always got snacks because she knows her kids going to get hungry. We've been in this car for an hour. You're hungry. You didn't even say nothing. So here, everybody get some chips. Be quiet. That's how God wants to do with his children. But what we do is we only around him when we have a need. He can't find us if we think everything's good. So we don't even get, if you've never experienced God coming to you with one of your needs, it's an amazing experience. To have God come to you and say, you don't know this yet, but you're going to need a thousand dollars. So I'm going to give you a thousand dollars, and when the thing come up a week from now, you'll have it. Oh, that's an amazing feeling. Because he's always looking out. But you got to be in intimacy to get that. You got to be around him when you're good. It's stuff that you don't know about to come up that he's already prepared for. But the Holy Spirit is the voice of God in those scenarios. You're waiting for the Father to bring an angel, and he's not going to do it. You're waiting for the heavens to open and a finger to come pointing out. It's not going to happen. And if you are neglecting your relationship, your intimacy with the Holy Spirit, you're missing all those come here's that the Lord is trying to get through to you. And all that stuff you've been praying about, he's already had instructions set on how to get that to you. But you're not going to, you don't want to do instruction because instruction means that I got to tie my shoe. Well, if you don't know how to tie your shoe, he'll teach you. But you're going to have to tie it and you don't want to do that. So what you do is lay there with untied shoes, tripping and falling over yourself until he notices. And then if you keep bumping your head and bruising yourself, eventually you create a religion that says, well, we don't know why he lets these things happen. We don't know his plan. Well, you don't know his plan because you ain't talked to him in six years. He's not hiding his plan from you. He gave you the Holy Spirit. But if you neglect the Holy Ghost, and many of us do, myself included, I've neglected him so many times, I can't tell you how many times he said, look, just, just come talk to me for 20 minutes. I got something I want to say, and I was too busy. And then I wonder why I'm stressed out. You, be stre you have no business being stressed out if you're born again. Amen. If you're stressed out, you're hungry. Amen. Your spirit's hungry. You, you go on through your whole daily routine. I worked out. I drank my gallon of water. I had a nap. I ain't fussed and fought with nobody. Why am I so stressed out? What am I worried about? I got my paycheck on Friday. I still got $2 left in my account. What's wrong? What's the matter? Your spirit's hungry. Starving. You trying to maintain your spirit is hungry. You are not flesh. You are spirit. The Holy Spirit will not let me put it to you this way. Let me give it to you how I got it in my notes. If you are experiencing a spiritual depletion of power, you know how, well, I'm talking about me because I don't know how saved y'all are. I know how saved I am. When I come to church, and it's not because I'm a pastor, because I was like this before. When I come to church, I prepare to do something spiritual if the need should arise. I don't, church is a place for me that's frightening if I haven't prayed enough. Not because I'm scared something bad gonna happen, but because I don't wanna be fighting that battle in my mind of the distraction of spiritual weakness because you burn your reserves out and then you gotta replenish. And you know, you ain't prayed enough all week and you come to church and you're trying to get into the spirit but it's difficult, there's an answer for that. 
even in that moment. Even if you haven't prayed all week, there's still a way to, to, to fix that. But ultimately, you should be spiritually at a place where you're constantly replenished. And you don't get that just from reading your Bible. That's part of it. That's an essential part of it. But many of us read a bunch of scripture and we're still not spiritually replenished. Because it's an empty calorie without the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost makes what you're reading life in you. I can see now I'm not going to finish all this tonight. But if you are experiencing a spiritual depletion of power, or if you desire an increase in power, pursue a deeper transformation of your character into the character of God. The Holy Ghost is the personality of God. Now let me get a little technical. The Holy Ghost is the personality of God. One of his primary goals is to train us how to be like God in character. You know, I look for certain markers of a person who's close with the Holy Spirit. And it's not how loud they pray in church or how much they dance during the praise and worship because some of the most sinful people you ever met know how to act, especially in the right color church. Because we have cultures. And you can learn a culture, you can grow up in a culture, and you can fake it. I look for the personality of God in normal situations. How patient are you? How pleasant are you? Are you generally an unpleasant person who turns it on when you have to? Or are you someone that people believe is generally pleasant most of the time? I've never met a Holy Ghost person who was intimate with the Holy Ghost. Now, let me say this, because I might offend some people. I'm all right with that. Jesus did it all the time. Everybody has a different idol they have to tear down. But I promise you this, for every one of us, at some point, whether it's now or earlier or later, we've all worshipped our own personalities. And that is one idol that every single one of us has had to tear down at some point. The worship of personality is very dangerous. Because the only personality you're allowed to worship is the Holy Ghost. What do I mean by the worship of personality? I don't necessarily mean the worship of other people's personalities. I mean the worship of your own. Look, I'm always a little grumpy when I get up in the morning. I've always been that way since I was a kid. But you're married now. Now, when you're by yourself, if you're grumpy in the morning, you can be grumpy because nobody knows. But you've got some other human being who has a right to you not being grumpy in the morning. But you're so married to your personality, you're so in love and you worship your personality because when you was, when you was by yourself, it didn't bother nobody because you didn't talk to people till noon. But you get up in the morning and your spouse say, hey, babe, you made some eggs. I ain't making no eggs. It's too early. Make your own eggs. And when you're called out on it, your response is, I'm not a morning person. Well, all that means, let me explain to you what that means. All that actually means is, I don't feel like doing certain things in the morning. I'm stepping on toes. I'm going to step back a little bit. I'm going to stay on this little black rug so can't nobody mess with me. See, I got, I got all the backup I need right here. Good. If you see anybody get up too fast, you just, just praise real hard. <laughs> if, they, if, they, if they get up too fast, just pretend like you're praising God real hard. Let your arms swing out, you know. <laughs> all you're saying is, I don't feel like doing this first thing in the morning. That's fine. That don't make you not a morning person. It makes you weak to your feelings. Because there's a lot of things you ain't going to feel like doing. And just because if I have to wait for you to feel like it for you to do it, 
you are a weak person. You are a weak person. Now, I bet you if I paid you to cook breakfast in the morning, you'd do it because you feel like getting money. Most people feel like getting money. Most people don't like their job, but they like money. They don't go to work because they feel like it. They go to work because there's a trade. I don't like answering these phones, but they pay me to do it, so that's why I do it. I wouldn't answer them for free. <laughs> so you are capable of overcoming your feelings if the reward is worth it to you. The reason why you don't is because the happiness of your spouse is not a worthy enough reward. That's all I'm going to say. It's not a worthy enough reward. Money is more important to you. Money will get you to overcome your feelings, but when your spouse can't. I don't step on somebody's toes. That's all I'm saying. And what's interesting is we turn that into a personality. Well, my husband knows I ain't a morning person, so he ain't even asked me to do nothing. Now, you done trained a man to not ask for things until 1130. He done, you done trained him. You trained him. And man, we do it too. I'm watching the game. You know what? That's when I'm watching the game. Don't mess with me when I'm watching the game. Babe, can we just talk about this? It takes five minutes. The game ain't going to be over in five minutes. They ain't finna do but so much in five minutes. And they record everything. You can turn it off and come back in an hour and watch the whole thing like it was live. Now, I know that's a sacred cow for a lot of men and women. But you have these personality traits that you've idolized. And the Holy Ghost is going to challenge you there because the only personality you're supposed to have is his. Now, let me say this. Let me take some of the pressure off. Personality is probably not the right word. So I'm going to say character. Because personality is a manner of expression. Every one of us expresses ourselves a little differently. And that's OK, because God loves diversity. He loves different types of expressions. And he makes room for all of them because he made us all. But our character should be the same. So what is the character lesson here, you morning and night people? See, I'm an all-day person. It annoys my wife. I'm more annoying to her because I'm an all-day person. The way I am right now is how I am the moment I get up. And she can vouch for that. I am literally like this all day. Sometimes it's annoying because if she won't talk to me because she's still asleep, I'll just get up and talk to myself for an hour until she wakes up. But if something's on my mind, when I get up, the, usually the thing that wakes me up is my mind. If I wake up and a thought comes to my mind that's interesting, I'm up. If it's 4 o'clock in the morning, I'm up. So I will literally lay in bed sometimes like, don't think about nothing, don't think about nothing, don't think, don't think, just don't think so I can go back to sleep. Because once I get an interesting thought, I got to see it through to the end. Doesn't bother anybody as long as I don't wake her up. So I purposely have learned to just slide out to bed, sneak away. And she'll know where I'm at. Sometimes I'll wake her up. If I get too loud, she'll know he in there preaching. He's in there preaching all to himself, just me and God. But because I'm like that, right, because I have that tendency, I had to figure out how to work that into our marriage. So I figured it out. Don't wake her up no more to talk to her about what's on your mind at 4 a.m. That's not fair to her because she's normal. It's not her fault, you know. And she'll jump in once she's fully awake. But I had to learn I can't impose that on her because that's what I'm into. But for you morning and night people, here's the lesson. And you can apply this to anything. The Holy Ghost would rather you surrender your tendency in the name of being more like him and let him meet out to you the grace to change in that area. Every single one of us is supposed to be walking in the grace of God. But a lot of times when we think of walking in the grace of God, we only think within the confines of a religious organization. He can preach good. She can sing good. He can play the music good. Or he can do whatever he do good. Or she can do whatever she does good. And that's where we keep it. But you need the grace of God to do everything. You need it 
but you don't always depend on it. You depend on your personality because you've been with your personality longer than you've been with him. You know how you function, but you don't know how you're supposed to function. If you've ever had an old beat up car and then bought the new version of it, you notice a difference. They've been making Toyota Corolla since the 80s. You go get a 1989 Toyota Corolla and then go buy a 2022 one and see the difference. Well, see, you've been an 89 Corolla for a long time. And what the Holy Ghost wants to do is turn you into a 2022. But you know that when, that, when, that, when my car make that noise, I know what that noise is. I ain't going to fix it. Look, my truck smokes. My truck got a smoking problem. It burns a little oil. It's got a valve seal leak. It's not worth the money to take the engine out and fix that one seal. So when I crank it up, she smoked for about two minutes, and then she'll smoke no more. I change the oil. I keep the oil topped off. She rides just fine. I know that. Now, if I bought a brand new truck, wouldn't have no smoke. But I know what the smoke is. Now, the people behind me don't know. <laughs> but I know what it is. In closing, here's my point. The Holy Ghost wants to take your old smoking truck and replace it with a brand new. But you have to surrender. And we got to lose our idols. And our personality is our biggest idol. We worship ourselves. Every time the Holy Ghost tells us, do this this way, and we do the other thing. What we're saying is, I know you're God, but I got this. And you don't have it. And then you wonder why you're mad all the time or stressed out all the time. Why you just got just enough money, never more than enough. There's a reason. Because he's not going to hand you the rest of your inheritance until you master your relationship with the earnest of your inheritance, the beginning of your inheritance. It's not just, he's not just a down payment of your inheritance. He's the first entry into your inheritance. And the rest of your inheritance will only be acquired through him. I guess that was simple enough. Amen.